0: Welcome to Pure Podcast. I'm Mike. And this is Orlando, and we're on episode one fifty one. Well fifty one. That's crazy. I cannot believe that we are at one fifty one. And here's the thing. I wanted to bring this guest on for one fifty. Like I don't know, one fifty sounds like a special date, but I wanted to make it more special. One fifty plus one. That's right. <laughs> so it's but, one better than one. But here's the thing. We have so many amazing guests. And and, you know, he really reached out to us back in the day when we were like I mean, we're still small creators, but we were like really small. Like, you know a few, I don't know, maybe a couple hundred subscribers and and was willing to take a shot on us on his show. And we're talking to somebody who's been in the reselling game for a long time, drops a lot of knowledge, helps a lot of people in multiple ways. And so we're grateful to have him on, finally have him on. Hopefully he'll be a recurring guest, uh, yeah. but we uh, want to welcome Reezy Resells on to Pure as podcast. Reezy, what's how are you doing? What's up? Good. What's up, guys? Finally. <laughs> I know. Finally. I know. It took us a little bit.
1: I was thinking about shaving my head. Yeah, but, I know. Like last time when we were on your show, we were like all we were triplets. It was great. Yeah, it's quarantine,
2: so you know I get a little lazy. So I got the kiwi head going on right now. Nice. But, uh, and also had to shave off my beard because I, you know, this, mm. it was getting very annoying to have a large beard. But man, I could have had we could have had three cue balls in effect. That,
0: that is true. I've great. never heard of the term kiwi head. That's a, that's a new that's one. It's good. That's, like a I, bit it of peach makes fuzz, It yeah. makes sense. It makes sense. I, I'm not a fan of uh, kiwi yeah. head.
2: I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if it's a thing, but that's just what my daughter says. Right? <laughs> no, there, hey, you know what? And you didn't shave your head, it feels like a kiwi. <laughs>
0: there, that is a new one. That's awesome. So all right, Reezy. So a lot of people know you, right? You got over a hundred K subscribers on YouTube. You've been reselling for a long time, dropping all kinds of videos, but there's probably a lot that still don't, right? Because we, you know, in the reselling game, like You know, it's a small world, but in the wider world, right, there's a lot of new people that come in and out of reselling. So tell us a little bit about who you are, like where people can find you, and then
2: you know, what what you do? Okay. So at any time, just cut me off because I'm liable to talk for 20 minutes after (laughs) that question. It's
0: all good. Luckily we're long form, so it'll work.
2: All right, cool. So I am a skateboarder, uh, father, husband. Uh got married when I was 16, which is when I had my first daughter. Been married for uh will be 20 years this August.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, I grew up really poor, food stamps, welfare, government, healthcare, all that stuff. I was a bad kid. I went to the principal's office every single day, so I would have saw you a lot. <laughs> uh, and, you know, school was just never for me. I used to sell um pencils at school. I used to I used to steal stuff. I used to steal recyclables and then push them a mile up to the recyclable place to get money. Growing up really poor was like my superpower because I could never ask my dad for a dollar. Mm. So I always, if I wanted anything, I had to get it myself. There was no question. Like when I started skateboarding and I would wreck my nine ninety nine Payless shoes in three days, my dad was like, well, you're on your own, you know? And so at an early age, I learned how to hustle. I used to do all kinds of scams at the amusement park. I live right by the Santa Cruz Beach Boardwalk. Um, And it's it's a free admission park. But if you don't have any money, you can't have any fun. So (laughs) we run all kinds of scams there, um, cleaning quarters out of the machines, scamming the games, getting tickets, selling tickets to guys that were trying to win a giant teddy bear for their girlfriend. Like I used to keep buy one, get one free food coupons in my wallet like they were money. You (laughs) know what happened? people like hey you're getting that burger here's a buy one get one free coupon will you get me the free one you know like that's how i ate as a kid i didn't want to go home didn't really have a good life um went to juvenile hall group homes uh foster care all all kinds of stuff but lived on my own since i was 16 um besides hustling and doing all kinds of scams i sold drugs for a little bit as a youngster and that really taught me uh business believe it or not i'm thankful that i didn't get um, in trouble and didn't get caught and so but when it came to selling stuff and when my brother started experimenting with ebay in 1998 i want to say or 96 mm. somewhere around there um he sold some stuff and then i started you know he's my little brother so you can't let him have all the fun right and so I was like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, I'm making money on the internet. And I'm like, wait, what What are you doing? Like, cause we used to like fill out surveys on the internet and get like a $2 check once a month. And my mom would be like, where's this check coming from? You know? <laughs> nice. Um, and my brother was like taking apart this gateway computer that my mom had on credit that hadn't even Kiwi. been paid off. I'm, I'm serious. He was taking it. He was he's like, I don't need a speaker. What do I need a speaker for? I'll use headphones. So he, he took the speaker. <clears throat> and they were like part of the monitor Mm. and they sold them as parts for people that had broken speakers you know and that's like kind of how we got started and we sold everything I remember we sold um, collectively we had to sell our Nintendo 64 because it was both of ours so we sold it but we sold like a, a pile it was everything we had that was related to the Nintendo 64 in one sale and the guy that bought it thank God his name just happened to be like video game dealer guy or something (laughs) like that on eBay. And I was like video game dealer guy. And that's when I realized you could click on someone's name on eBay and see what they were selling. And then you could see, I don't think I even knew how to do sold research yet, but then I realized it and I was like, wow, not only can I see what he's selling, I can see what he sold Mm. and what he tried to sell and didn't sell. And then I can sort them. And like, that was like, I to this day I could still spend you know hours and hours doing eBay sold research. I I think it's one of the funnest things in the world. Like it's just amazing what you could learn. But so from there we realized that he was selling a game, a controller, uh, a power adapter. You know, at most he would sell the console with one controller and the AC and the power, and that's it. You know, never a game. And So I was like, dang it, we lost money, Royce. Mm. That's his name, Royce. And uh, so that's when we learned about breaking bulk. And after we sold everything that we had that we could sell that my mom wouldn't, would allow us to sell, we, and I lived out of the house at the time, but I was going to my mom's house to help my brother sell stuff that was in my mom's house because I didn't have anything. Uh, We started buying stuff off eBay. I lived in Kansas at the time, which is, that's a long story, but I got shipped off to Kansas, which is where I met my wife. Um, We were buying stuff off eBay because there's nothing, there's no There's not a lot of yard sales or thrift stores really in Kansas where we were at. We're buying stuff off eBay, like buying other, at first it was other Nintendo 64 piles, right? And then listing it as one game, one game. Well, we're like, oh, Donkey Kong Country, we'll keep that one. Mm -hmm. Like this game, like, um, and so I started doing eBay and um, I was an avid reader. I'd always been a reader because I, I got in a lot of trouble as a kid. And I always thought reading was for nerds. But I was grounded and there was nothing to do. And so I eventually found the books on the shelf in the room. Whatever room you're grounded in, there's always some books in the room, right? Yep. And I started reading and I, I firmly remember, like, I read, the, uh, I read the children's Bible cover to cover. It, w- it was a long, it took me like two weeks to read it. I was grounded for like a month. <sighs> I firmly remember being in there and being like, they don't know I'm having fun. Like, I'm having fun. Like these, I'm not religious, but there's some good stories in the Bible. And um so I had a love with reading. Eventually I found out I really like science fiction. I read every Star Wars book ever ever made up until like the the prequels came out. And I just happened to have a large collection of Star Wars books. And so I'm selling stuff out of my own home, which I don't have a lot cuz I'm a young family. I remember I'm, we had I'm like,
0: impressed reezy. You read the the canon Star Wars books. Like the oh, re- well, like the, the real OG ones. Stuff.
2: Stuff that's not considered canon anymore.
0: Yeah, well that's because JJ Abrams ruined it. But yeah, so that that's yeah, legit. No,
2: yeah. Shout out to my real Star Wars fans.
0: <laughs> All right, anyways, keep on. Sorry. Uh,
2: yeah, let us know. Are you are you down for the 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 Jedi or are you a Sith? I wanna know. I
1: wanna <laughs> Comment know, below.
2: I, I wanna know who I'm talking to here. <laughs> um but anyways, so I, I just remember we didn't have a lot of stuff. We had like as a young family, we were still on that like uh you get your tax return, your earned income credit, you buy a new car. <clears throat> Hmm. car that we had would basically break every year. And we had like a 26-inch color TV and a vacuum. Those were like our prized possessions. But I had all these books and I would buy, I was addicted to the Star Wars books. I would buy them when they came out, brand new, I was waiting for them to come out. They'd come out, I'd buy it, I'd go read it, put it on the shelf. And I was like, why do I need 27 Star Wars? I don't need these things. They're just sitting here. I'm not going to read them again. And so I listed them on eBay starting at a penny at an, an auction And I was amazed when they sold for like 75% of the retail value. Mm. I was like blown away. Like in my mind, I knew like electronics, video games, those are worth money. Like DJ equipment, like I knew that was worth money used. But never did I think used books would be worth, I did zero research. I just put up for a penny. Like those are the real exciting auctions. And uh, sold for 75% of retail. So I was blown away. And that's when I realized that there was money in used books. So that kind of got stored in the back of my mind. And then later in life, um, I'm still selling on eBay. I'm making like 500 bucks a month, grocery money. Going to flea markets. We live in California now. I'm selling uh, stuff I know about. Right. I'm not. I'm not too much of like you know picking up the random thing. I mean, I start to learn about like oh, industrial lab equipment or really obvious stuff that I would look up, I would find, but for the most part, it was still video games, consoles. Like you could still pick up super Mario Brothers three for like a dollar or two. Not everyone huh. knew it was money and that, and it was still worth like 20 bucks right there. Super Mario brothers three that if you're an eBay seller or a video gamer for a long time, that should kind of like date it for you. Yeah. Cause you know, now you see super Mario brothers three at a flea market or a yard sale. They're not selling it for less than 10 bucks and mm-hmm. they're probably trying to get 20 bucks for it. Right. And so, I know the prices went down a little bit now that there's like virtual console and you can buy all that stuff online or whatever. But um, it was mostly just video games, right? And so I was going to thrift stores, buying what I knew. I would look up electronics because they're easy to look up. They all have model numbers, you know. And I would see people occasionally with a lot of books. And I at first thought they were people who worked at the thrift stores. And I would say... Like, oh, hey, you're putting these books out. Could I look at them? And they're like, no, those are mine. I don't work here. And I'm like, whoa, (laughs) really? You mean you are a customer and you have a cart with 50, 75 books in it? Like, what is going on? Like, for what are you doing? And then they would clam up. They didn't want to have any kind of casual conversation Mm. at all. And they would clam up. And then when I saw that they were using technology, it had a, a PDA, which later on I would real, I would kind of like hide out and try and stare at it from the yeah. back and find out what, what they were using because they wouldn't tell me anything. Um, and this was before YouTube came out. This was before the iPhone was invented. I still didn't have enough money to own a cell phone. like, um, And so I found, I was like, oh, it's a Dell PDA. Like as a PDA, like for people that don't know, like using yeah. like-
0: Personal pocket, digital assistant. A pocket PC
2: running yeah, yeah. Windows uh. Windows CE, I don't know. Um, and it had a, they were scanning the barcodes with the laser beam. And that's what set me off because I've always been a tech dude. And I was like, dude, that laser beam thing has to be at least like a hundred bucks, mm. if not like 300. And then they got the PDA. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, they're using like a $200, $300 thing to scan these books, which are 50 cents at the thrift store. And they have a cart full every couple days and they don't want to tell me anything. These guys are making a lot of money. Mm. And that's just where I went right away and so I went home, started researching, scanning books on Google. All that I could ever find no matter how I typed it in, scanning books and I wouldn't I wasn't thinking scouting and like my Google foo is pretty strong. Right. Like there's nothing I can't really find or I would consider that I couldn't find even back then. But I was looking for scanning books, book scanner. All that would ever come up was like how to DIY your own flatbed scanner to digitize books.
0: Mm. Uh. Like
2: there was nothing. I couldn't figure it out. Um, I didn't even really know what Amazon was at the time. I vaguely remember in high school, I think, or right after high school, someone I know had like purchased some CDs on Amazon. And I was like, you bought CDs off the internet? Like real ones? Like, that's weird. but I didn't know what it was. And I tried to no avail. I'm talking like weeks of like staying up till four in the morning, trying to figure it out. And I could find nothing. So there was no YouTube. There was no gurus. There was no eBooks about it. There was nothing. I I couldn't figure it out. And it was driving me crazy. So I resorted to, okay, I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask every single person I see. And hopefully I can find a breadcrumb trail somewhere.
0: And, uh, you, hold on, let me stop you a little bit. Oh, no, go ahead. So much value in what you just say. I mean, from I don't know, Mike, when's the first time you checked out somebody's username on eBay to see what they were selling?
1: Um, you know, it wasn't until I was reselling for a little while that I thought to do that. But yeah, that's a genius tip. Like,
0: like I I mean, if you're brand new, like you wouldn't think about that. And you just happen since. <laughs> and not
2: only well, that I would say I just got lucky because the dude's name was I don't remember the exact name, but yeah. It, for lack of remembrance video game seller guy, you know right. I sell video games like video games and more and back like then
0: there weren't there wasn't that many sellers like there are now, right, so whatever you saw that guy selling, you could probably pick that up and make good money, so I'm pretty sure that's what you did
2: yeah there was so there was so yeah, I learned a lot, and there was so much differences back then you could put dot com in your eBay name and oh, so right. you could drive traffic off of eBay to your own selling platform. Mm. By having a dot com and, you know, okay, so you're platform. you're
0: OG eBay. Like this is you're like money order eBay.
2: Oh, yeah. Like- <laughs> no. Totally. People would send you cash in the mail sometimes.
0: I didn't know that about you, Reezy. I did. I thought you were just a full Amazon guy from the beginning, but
2: no, no it was all eBay, all eBay forever until I seen people selling books and um I just didn't know what they were doing. Right. So. I resorted to asking people and I would just get shut down and shut down. I had some nasty confrontations with people people are, people are so like the nicest confrontations would be you ask them and they act like you're invisible and imagine (laughs) two grown adults and one of them's acting like the other one's invisible. (laughs) It's, It's infuriating and it's like, you know, it's hard to maintain, you know, a casual repertoire with someone when they're acting like you're invisible. And I'm like, I'm even asking store workers. I'm like, what's he doing? Where's he selling these at? You but know, but like,
0: that reason that was before YouTube. That was before. Like, I mean, remember when resellers started hopping on YouTube Man, like there were, people were not happy even until now you still get it. We still get it. Oh. Like we get oh, those I'm comments sure. all the time. So that was a different time when people had, they had gold mines on them. Yeah, protective of their, uh, of their knowledge for sure.
2: Yeah. I'm just trying to not be an evil reseller. <laughs> All right, so all the muggles say you're an evil reseller. I'm like, no, no, I'm one of the good resellers. I help people. (laughs) But, uh, uh, eventually, um, I see a woman, an older woman, scanning books, and I've never seen her before. And it's resorted to the point where, like, all I see is the regular people I see all the time. I see them. I'm like, I recognize them everywhere. I'm like, now I see them everywhere I go. Like, I, They must have been there before and I didn't notice them. Now I see them mm-hmm. everywhere I go. They're at the flea market. They're at every thrift store I go to. They're at the estate sales I go to. I, I hate these guys. Uh, um, but one day, someone I'd never seen, and I'm like, wow, they must be from out of town or something. And I ask this old woman and she just goes, oh, I sell books on Amazon. And I'm huh. like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, what's that software you're using? She's like, oh, it's called um, a seller tool, which is what Scoutly used to be called back in the day, which is what everyone used before Scout IQ. And uh, that's it. That's all I needed. I just, I ran home. I, I mean, I I actually drove home, but if I, I probably would have forgot I had a car and just ran all the way home. And uh, then I went on their website and then they had literature on their website and that's all that I needed. You know, and they had... They were selling pre pre uh, set up PDAs with the database in it and everything for like three hundred bucks, and then I was like, "Wait, three hundred bucks? No way!" And so I like I realized what model the, the it was a Compact Flash scanner that plugged into the top of the PDA. If you're listening to this, you probably don't even know what Compact Flash is. It's some crazy old school technology. I remember
0: Compact. <laughs> yeah,
2: but we're old. Yeah, we're old. that is true. That is true. And so, um, anyway, so I found, I bought a compact flash scanner. I believe it was made by socket and it's called the CHS in hand scanner. I think, I don't know. Anyways, so I buy that off eBay for like 50 bucks or a hundred bucks. I found like a good deal or something. And then, uh, probably set some alerts or something. Set alerts. If you don't have alerts, very good thing to have. Hundred Um, and then I found out on Craigslist, or I I think it was Craigslist. There was like infinity amount of those Dell Axum X5, X5 X51 PDAs. You could get as many as you want for like 15
0: bucks a piece. You're speaking a foreign language, Reezy. I should (laughs) have
2: bought all of them because later, (laughs) once everyone else started selling books, a few years later, they were like 50 to 75 Mm -hmm. each on eBay and on Craigslist. But they were like, it was like a failed technology. It wasn't even that old to be like legacy yet, but it was just like, no one wanted it. You know, it was like, these pocket PDAs did not have a very good run because things like uh, the Palm Pilot came out, you know, and that totally wrecked it. Like no one wanted to use that when the Palm Pilot came out. Or what was the uh, what was the phone that had like the the full on nice keyboard it's on? Like the a bottom? BlackBerry
1: or something was Blackberry, that the yeah. exactly? Once I feel
0: Blackberry like a, a out, people, road memory lane.
1: Over
2: it.
0: <laughs> what? No, you're taking it back. Like, I'm not these these words, like some people are like, what are they talking about? Like Palm Pilot?
2: Palm pilot. Old school stuff. I mean, because back in the day, before um before so like let's let's just take it back a little bit, guys. So before when I was selling stuff on eBay, and when I say I would look stuff up, remember I said I didn't have a cell phone, right? So when I would look stuff up, I meant I would write it down on paper. And then go home and look it up on eBay or go to a pay phone, call my brother who is a computer nerd and was sitting at a computer for his entire life and say, Royce, can you look this up for me? he would look it up. Like if you have to phone a friend, yep. phone my brother. He's at the computer. <laughs> and he would look it up and then tell me. He would look at the solds and he would tell me. He's like, is it new? Is it like whatever? You know what I mean? That's how we did it. He called it having a rabbit. When you had a rabbit, that means you knew someone who was at a computer most of the time and you could call them to look stuff up for you. And that's how people did it back in the day. They would, you know, write the numbers down on paper, then go into the library and use the computer or whatever. Anyways, so um, found out what they were doing, got my setup. um, And then within like... um, Really quickly, I started making money. Before that, I remembered actually, I kind of glossed over it. but before before I got the technology figured out, as soon as I figured out what they were doing, I still um, didn't know the whole scanning setup, but me and my brother realized they were selling them on Amazon. And at the time I had not even ever looked at Amazon or bought anything from Amazon. It was uh, six months before FBA started on Amazon. so I got really lucky just falling onto Amazon in that window. And, um, and I found, you know, I was finding, uh, I was going to the Goodwill outlet and buying books, uh, for $5 a bag, right? Some places are by the bag or by the pound or a quarter each or whatever. And I remember I get to the Goodwill outlet and I find that they have books every day and they're fresh and that there's the regular booksellers that show up there every day to buy books. And guess who was there buying books? Same people I've been seeing at the thrift stores that wouldn't tell me anything, mm. And so I bought books blind for over a month. And by buying blind means I was buying them at the Goodwill. I would go to the feeding trough of the new inventory that they put out with everyone else. And it's crazy scramble if you've never been to the bins or the Goodwill outlet, which is still a thing. You probably don't know what I'm talking about. Might not be for you. Definitely not for the faint of heart. But um (laughs) Would get what you wanted and then they <clears> would scan it and then throw back what they didn't want it. But I didn't have a scanner, so I was blind. I would look at that book and be like, mm, This one, okay. I like the subject matter. I'd look <sighs> at the publishing date and go, Ah, too old. Like, I, I don't know. Anyways, you're judging books would, by their covers. <laughs> 100%. And then I would go <laughs> home and look them up and, and I'd be like, Babe, out of the 50 books we bought, you know, 25 of them are worth money. We just made a 100 bucks. We just made. 200 bucks this one's worth 65 like Mm. oh my god and then it was like oh gotta go to work at the time I worked at a skateboard shop which I thought was amazing but it was actually (laughs) not that great um so then once I get the technology figured out it was game on right Mm. because now I could fully I knew I could physically compete with the other people that I was going against but I didn't have the technology so I they I could I knew I was messing up because when I would throw my books back They were waiting. I could tell they wanted to leave already, but they were waiting for me to throw my books back. And when I would throw them back, they would fight over my throwbacks. Mm. I was like, oh man, we're missing. And I didn't have a lot of money. I had like a hundred bucks maybe at most. And that was after just like starting with five bucks, making five or 10 or 20. And now I have a hundred bucks and I could buy 10 bags of books. You know what I mean? But I still threw back a bunch because I would get like 50 bags worth and then whittle it down to five or 10. So they would fight over my rejects. But then once I got the scanner, they were like, oh man, we hate you so (sighs) much. They just hated because I knew how to do it, you know? And I remember, even though I had the technology, I was making so many mistakes. And people always ask me, they're like, How did you learn how to do this, Reezy? And I was like, I made every single mistake Mm. you could ever make. That's it. There's no, there was nobody that taught me. I just made every mistake. I remember uh listing some of the first books and nothing was selling and I was like, why is it not selling? And I was like, I know these are worth money. I didn't understand all the reviews or the sales rank or anything yet. But here's how I was pricing them and you're gonna think this is hilarious. So I would take a book, I got a book, and I'd be like, okay, the low price is $18 and then the lowest price offer and then the highest priced offer on page five is $120. And I'd be like, well, what's the price on the middle of page three? And oh, that's man. what I'm listed as. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't selling. And I didn't really understand why. I didn't understand the buy box or like how mm. the customer, because I never was a customer on Amazon. So I didn't understand it. And my brother just goes, why don't you try to list them all for the lowest price? He's like, what's the worst that could happen? You paid like a quarter a piece, who cares? And so I listed them all for the lowest price. And I wake up the next morning and have like 40 sales. And I was like, oh my God, this is it, you know? And like that was three months before I quit my job. But that first day that I woke up and had like 40 sales after I figured out pricing, I was like, I'm quitting my job, guaranteed. Like the next time that I get really frustrated, like, cause my boss would yell at me a lot. I'm like, <laughs> I'm, I'm out of here, dude. I'm yeah. so out of here.
1: It's good to have that but, in your back pocket. Plus, I mean, that's the best kind of education you can get is is one that kind of costs you something because. <laughs> You're going to learn those lessons and it, you know, because it isn't, it didn't come easy. It didn't come free. You had to, you had to earn and fight for every step of the way. Um, that's the best education you can get.
2: Yeah. They, uh, one of the, I forget where I, I think I actually heard this from Russell Brunson from the creator of ClickFunnels. And he says, people who pay, pay attention.
1: Mm. Mm.
2: And, sure. and it makes a lot of sense, right? Think about public education community college kids aren't really paying attention you know what i mean they mm. didn't cost them a lot of money to get there and then i was talking to someone else about this and they were like yeah and they were like you know how many times i pirated a p90x workout mm. it's like i never did it <laughs> and he's like i bought it once he's like i've done it three times since then
0: <laughs> yep no it's it's true i mean when there's a buy-in right and it costs you something you're gonna make sure it happens or, or at least for a little bit <laughs> but especially yeah. when it when it comes to reselling all right so Talk to us about then when you jump to full time. 26
2: minutes later.
0: Oh no, it's all good though. Like we're good, like that was a great (laughs) story. Reezy, I've heard parts of your story, but I've never heard it in its entirety like that. That was pretty awesome. So yeah, that was great to share.
1: And it's really cool too. I'm sure our listeners have kind of picked up through so many of the people we've interviewed uh, and probably so many of them too. We get DMs all the time where people, it seems like a big part of the hustler mentality, a big part of just the reseller nature. It, one, it seems to be like in us, right? There's this this desire to hustle, and then two is is kind of a difficult background and coming up and like and kind of having to fight like as a as a youth fighting your way through and making it work, and then as you're getting into the resell and hustle game, and and I think a lot of our listeners and a lot of other resellers can really connect to that because it's it's kind of what sets us apart. Like there is something different about you know being a hustler, being a reseller is is you you, you oftentimes come from a, a background where you had to fight and make it work and figure it out. Uh, and then, yeah, people will come around and say like, well, how did you, you make it look so easy and it's like, oh, if only you knew the backstory of what, what it took to get here.
2: Definitely not easy, but I fully agree with you on that. Um, if you haven't had a tough life, you know, you're probably not willing to tough it out at the Goodwill bins or in the trenches, you know, um, (laughs) the
0: Goodwill bins are the trenches.
2: (laughs) it, It is, you might get, you know, hepatitis. I don't know. Um, but it's just I knew I knew I was never meant to work for someone else. I could never i i I got kicked out of school so many times I remember I got suspended and the I had this bus driver that was a huge power tripping bus driver, and every day I would ride the bus, she would try to power trip on me, mm. and I would let her know that you ain't gonna do that to me. And like, I don't care. You can talk to all these other kids on the bus how you want to talk to them, but you ain't going to talk to me like that. You're going to treat me with respect, right? Like I did nothing to, I don't care if you don't like these other kids. I did nothing to you. You're not going to disrespect me. And uh, she hated me for it so bad, like so, it. so bad. And so she would suspend me and uh, she would like write me a referral. And then the principal would be like, what'd you do again, Mikey? But I have all the referrals still from my childhood. Oh my goodness! And it says... Michael refuses to submit to authority. This is she wrote it again and again and again, this exact phrase. And she's exactly right. I do refuse to submit to authority. I refuse to to let anyone tell me how to live my life or to to get only what's put in front of me. Mm. And I'll never forget how just feeling how bad it made me feel to have to ask for permission to go to the bathroom, Mm. you know, or just how some teachers treat students with the, they just treat them like second class citizens, Mm. right? Like, like as if, uh, I'm the authority here student and you need to earn my respect. Mm. And, um, I had maybe a handful, maybe like three to five teachers that were amazing in my entire life. And I went to a lot of different schools, like four or five schools, some year years. And those teachers that were compassionate and caring and understanding, I didn't get in trouble with them one time the entire year. And I'm talking about I was in the office every day for the entire year of every other class. And what's the difference? You know what I mean? It's, it's, they didn't make me feel like a second class citizen. They gave me respect from day one. You know what I mean? They understood difficulties. And so if that's how society's gonna be, I gotta control it myself. And I just can't possibly I can't, ex- I can't just exist. I want to thrive and it's not possible with these scraps that you're giving me.
0: Mm. See, if I was a vice principal, so I would bring you on for one of our professional developments for our teachers because <laughs> seriously though, like all the time and not to get too off track, but all the time, whenever I had a teacher that caused problems in the classroom, it was because they mistreated students and they couldn't handle the kid, but the teachers that were willing to... I don't know, say, use the word respect, but we're able to engage the students or develop a relationship went farther, way further. Like, I never had those kids in my office. Like, I never, I that teacher would probably be like, I took care of Orlando. Don't worry about it. Like, we're good. They just had a rough day. Something happened at home. Dah, 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 dah. It was always easy to manage. So, I, I'm glad if there's any teachers listening. Thanks for easy. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I'm going to take it one step further. And I, I really oh, want to share this. And I'm sorry that it's not reselling, but um, it fits in there somewhere. So, um, I had a principal, <laughs> his name was, uh, Dan Cavanaugh. He's still, he, we, I live in the town I grew up in. So I see him every once in a while and he's like super proud of me that I'm semi successful. And right. it's like, it's like warms the spot in my heart, but, <laughs> um, he was the principal the whole time I was there. And sometime around fifth, I went there from kindergarten through sixth grade. Um, I left and came back a couple times, but during, um, fifth grade, He hacked me and he figured it out and I didn't get in trouble for a day from the day he hacked me till the day I left that elementary school. And this is what he did. He knew what I valued the most. What I valued the most was my friendships and my peers and their opinions. Right. I valued it a lot like a lot of kids do. I wanted to be popular. Right. Or at least with my circle of friends. And he knew also he knew I was poor. I was that kid where like I couldn't go on field trips if someone didn't pay for it, you know? So like when they're like, Oh, it's going to cost 15 bucks. I like make eye contact with the teacher and she's like, would nod, you know, like I got you, you know, and whether the teacher was paying out of their own pocket or what, I don't know to this day, but um, he brings me into the office one day and not just me, it's me and three of my best friends and we all show up and, and we're like walking in the hallways together. We're like, what, what they, what did they find out? Like, what do we do? Like we, we would do so much stuff. We had to kind of try to figure out what they might have known about, you know, and we're like trying to get our stories right and trying to figure out all the possibilities. We get into the office and he's and we're like, so what do we do? And he's like, none of you guys are in trouble. This is all about Mikey. And I'm like, great. What did I do? And he's like, you're not actually in trouble today. And he's like, but I want to make a deal with you. And I was like, oh, this is crazy. He wants to make, this is the principal of my elementary school. And he goes for every week that you don't get in trouble on Friday. I will take you and your three friends to McDonald's, which was across the street from our school. And I will buy you guys lunch and then walk you back to school and you can eat it at the lunch area. I'll pick you up five or 10 minutes before lunch starts. And that's the deal. And if you're good, that's how it works. We left that thing. And all three of my friends were like, well, if you mess this up, (laughs) we are going to mess you up. And it worked. I never got in trouble ever again. Hmm the whole time. And to this day I always think about how genius that was or right. how he had to figure that situation out and hack it and how how he probably paid out of his pocket for that McDonald's or whatever but it it kept his office free and kept me out of his hair and just think how how easy and how simple that solution was mm-hmm. but if you're not creative and you're jaded and you just want to take things as a you know a head on situation always be confrontational you know it how these other teachers treated me, uh,
1: it would have never happened. We wanted to take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode. So Orlando and I are always looking out for tools and programs that can be used in our own reselling to help improve our sales uh, and things that we can share with the community in order to help others. Uh, And we've been lucky enough to partner with two companies here at the same time uh, that we think do just that. So it's kind of interesting because both of these companies are competition. So... Uh, you know. But this is a good thing that we're advertising both, I feel, because we are really, really big on letting you make decisions and not saying like, this is the way you should do things. Because you know, you know what's best for your model of selling and what you need to be doing. Uh, so we've been able to partner with List Perfectly and Vindu. And both of these are programs that can be used to cross-list postings on multiple platforms. This is great because we always talk about the importance of being on multiple platforms and not putting all of your eggs into one basket. But one of the barriers to that is the time issue. And the nice thing with List Perfectly and Vendoo is it allows you to make one listing that then gets cross-posted to multiple platforms. So you're not having to post things multiple places and spend that time. And in this case, that time saved is money you're making. So both of these companies have a special offer for our listeners if you were to sign up. Um, You need to sign up using the affiliate links that we have in our descriptions or show descriptions in order to get the uh, promotional codes. Uh, So... First of all, is list perfectly. They're giving thirty percent off your first month, which is amazing, and they've got some incredible things that they they offer. So, uh, for instance, your postings go to eBay, they go to Mercari, Depop, Grail, Etsy, Poshmark. There's just so many. You got to check it out. There's almost too many to list here. Um, and so, if you sign up, you get thirty percent off, but you have to use our. our Link, and then use the code LP30. And then the other one is Vindu. Vindu is very similar. Uh, you're going to get 25% off your first month if you use our affiliate link. You don't have to use a promo code. Just click on the link in the description. Uh, and your your listings are going to go to eBay. They're going to go to Etsy. They're going to go to Poshmark. They're going to go to Mercari. So this is just a great opportunity for you to save some time, get on multiple platforms, and maybe make some more money.
0: 100%. I, it's just so good what you said. It, it's true. It's true. Th- it it I don't know I feel like we're on an education podcast but I would always tell teachers like go to the ball games go to the plays go to the things that they care about and if they see that you care about it and you the next day go hey great job even if the kid like struck out at the baseball game hey and that it was awesome seeing you man that goes hundred miles. like you win you win those students over right and then you can teach them but this is not what this podcast it's is not, about
2: and some of these kids their parents aren't showing up for hundred percent
0: my parents and and I love my mom and I love my dad who passed away but they went to maybe two sporting events the whole time, me growing up. Right. And I I didn't grow up poor, but my dad had Parkinson's and, and my mom was always working. So I was a latchkey kid. And so, so yeah, I mean, those teachers, I still call my, my basketball coach probably once a month, just, you know, he's like a second dad to me, you know? So I totally get it Reezy. So that's good. Right. Now the other thing I want to tell that was a good story. I really appreciate you trying to help. Yeah, no,
2: I'm, I'm, I always tell people that story. It's, I think it's a, a great, insight into understanding not just children or education or whatever, but just as, as a, from a management standpoint, maybe, you know, or, or just how to, what's the creative solution from this that literally takes pennies and little effort and, and creates a perfectly seamless
0: solution Mm -hmm. like that you're not thinking of. Agreed. Agreed. Now the uh, the other thing I want to share with reselling is like you talked about Google <laughs> and the fact that you were willing to put in whatever it took to figure things out. And I really believe that it separates the sellers that continue and stay on and, and are full time and never go back. Because, you know, there there's a comes a certain point where, like, yeah, courses are good. We're not against courses, right? But there has to be something in you that's willing to want to get that information whatever way you can get it, right? And you were able yep. to do that. So I think that was great. So congrats.
2: thank you um you guys wanted to talk about going full-time
0: reselling yeah that was my next one how what so talk to us because i maybe and maybe you had the life like maybe you went full-time and like you only worked five hours a day and life was good no (laughs) no all right so talk to me about how it went down because we get that question all the time
2: read the four-hour work week it didn't work out (laughs) yeah there you go sorry tim ferris um great book though lots of stuff to Mm -hmm. learn in there just don't think a four-hour work week is realistic for most people. No. Um, so, like I said, um, I was semi comfortable in the ability to generate income. And when I say I was comfortable, because I had figured out how to get the books cheaply, how to figure out which ones were worth money, and how to price them um, and sell them on Amazon. Um, my necessary, my financial needs at the time were very, very low. We, you know, we we were still going to food banks to get food every once in a while, which is something I learned growing up. You could always go to the church and get some food. Um, We were still, you know, eating terrible food like Hamburger Helper and stuff like that. That's just really, really cheap. Um, I had a beater car. We lived in a thousand dollar a month, two bedroom apartment that was falling apart. It was so bad that I told my landlord we were going to move. And he just goes, well, what if I just charge you eight fifty a month? And we ended up staying for like another year after that. Wow. And <laughs> so our, you know, we didn't travel, we didn't go anywhere. Our financial needs were very, very low. And my wife was a CNA; she was like working in nursing homes, taking care of elderly people. So we could live off of her uh, paycheck, right? We, I didn't need to make any money, but I mean. We might not be able to afford groceries here or there. We might have like a bill that almost gets shut off, but not quite getting shut off. But we were all right. That's kind of like how I grew up, too. So it seemed normal to me. So when I say it wasn't super risky, other people, everyone has a different level of comfortability. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, I'm like, hey, this is not risky at all. We can already pay the bills without me, you know, making $500 a month for us. Um But then I actually did quit my skate shop job. And I remember this was the most money I ever made in my entire life was working at this skate shop. I made $750 take home every two weeks. I was on salary. That was my take home, right? I had actually moved up from working retail there to actually becoming a salaried employee. Um, So then I left that and then we started going ham on the books, right? Just buying as much books as we could, but very quickly, I realized that books are like real estate. It's a catalog business. You need a lot of inventory, right? Now I know an average bookseller sells about 1% of their inventory a day. Back then, I wasn't measuring anything. I wasn't even paying taxes yet because the websites weren't um, reporting to the government yet. This was before eBay and Amazon were required to work with the IRS and everything. So, um, and... I tied up all of my money right away in books. And then I was like, well, maybe I can lower the price. It wouldn't make them sell. You know what I mean? So then I I lowered the price on a bunch of stuff, still didn't sell. So then I moved it back up to match the next lowest price, right? I was like, yeah, they're not selling any faster. No reason to lower the price, right? And um, I needed more money to buy more books, right? Stuff would still sell, but if you're not buying buying 100 books a day, you're not going to sell 30 a day. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. If you want to sell 30 bucks, 30 books a day, you know, you need to have like uh, a, uh, you need to put like a,
0: a 30, lot 000.
2: every single day. I'm, I'm not going to do the math right now, but anyways, so you would buy, let's say you buy 500 books, you sell, I don't know, 30 or 50 on the first day. But then the next day you sell only like, I don't know, 10, then you sell five, then you sell three. suddenly you're selling two a day, one a day, one every other day one a week, which is great. Cause you know, a week ago you sell a $70 book that you bought for a quarter and amazing, but you can't really live off that if it's not consistent. But I knew it was working. So I needed more books and we had no real money except for the only, like, I was like looking at our budget and I was like, where is this money going to come from? I need to buy more books. And I had already like sworn off doing anything illegal long before then I had kids and stuff. I was like, I can't risk anything like that. And so I was like, Uh, you can't not pay rent. You can't not pay bills. You can't not pay gas. You, what are we going to do? And I was like the food budget. I was like, this is, so we spent like 300 to $500 a month on food or something, groceries. And I was like, we could go to the church more. We could like go to a different church every week. And if we really needed food, we could go eat at the homeless shelter, which is something that I did a lot as a child. I had several Thanksgivings at the homeless shelter. We weren't homeless. My parents were just drug addicts and had no money. And so we would go eat at the homeless shelter every once in a while. And so I just told, I, I convinced my wife. I'm a very good convincer, and she's very faithful of my crazy endeavors. And I was like, look, this thing's going to work out. And I probably try to show her numbers and stuff, and she like could care less. And she's like, if you think it's going to work out, like I trust you. And I was like, all right, well, here's what we have to do. I need this 500 bucks to buy books. And we're going to have to go to much more churches. We don't have to go to two churches a week. You know, they might get sick of seeing us and we might have to eat at the homeless shelter. So what we ended up doing was we ate at the homeless shelter. So for 30 days, we ate one meal at the homeless shelter a day. And we also went to one to two churches every week to get groceries for our house. And from saving that 500 bucks, I was able to roll that into buying books at the Goodwill Outlet. And that's eventually what grew our business to the point where we didn't have to do that anymore. Um, But everything, everything was like accidents or like uh, a product of the environment. Like I remember our house was like the library of Congress, books everywhere, (sighs) books falling over. Just, we had five tons of books in an upstairs two bedroom apartment. The floor was sagging in, in the area where we had all the books stored. And, um, I was still wrapping books every night. And during the book season, during textbook season, we were, we were selling like over a hundred items a day, merchant fulfilled 150 items a day. So it was every single night, me and my wife wrapping books till two or three in the morning. And our system was not the best. And it was, we would watch TV while we were doing it. And I don't know if you, if you're listening and you're a reseller and you watch TV while you package your orders, you are wasting your time. It takes way longer, right? It takes probably twice as long. And, um, I'll never forget it. My neighbor was a great friend of mine from high school. He just comes over one day and he gave me a deal I couldn't refuse. He needed 500 bucks to pay rent. And he just goes, Hey, I'll wrap books for you for the next 30 days if you give me 500 bucks right now. And I just go, Deal, you you (laughs) screwed up, buddy. You screwed up big time. Deal, shake. Here's the money. You screwed up. I literally told him, I was like, You screwed up. And he's like, Dude, I had to give you a deal you couldn't refuse. I needed this money. And so then we didn't have to wrap books for 30 days. And he, uh, my buddy, Mike, he's very, um, system minded. And like, he's a, he's a manager of a store of a retail store and he's a good manager. Like he reorganizes the store every week or so, you know, he figures out all oh, the, the customers do this over here. So let's put that over there. Like he's the best kind of store employee you could ever ask mm. for. And he revolutionized how we were wrapping the books. He was like, Oh, No longer do you put it in the bag, write the name, weigh it. He was like, put it in the bag, write the first initial and the last name and do the next one and stack them all up, then peel them all at once, you know, then weigh them all at once. And then, like, and then he's like, can you get the printing to do it through a spreadsheet so we could print all the labels at once? And I was like, I think I can. And so I figured it out. So he revolutionized everything and made the system way better. And then after that month was over, I didn't want to go back to wrapping books. So I ended up hiring him. I ended up hiring my dad to help. Um, and that was the beginning of me hiring employees. And just like that same situation, I continued to source every single day for years and years um, until my my daughter who's eight, she, when she was born, that's when my wife stopped working. She worked until the day she gave birth and she stopped working uh, for me in the book business. Um, but at one point I broke my foot skateboarding. And so I couldn't, go sourcing. I had a knee scooter. I tried. It just was really feeble. It was like I was no competition for anybody on a knee scooter. And uh, so then I had to let that go and I had to have hire my brother and my friend to do my routes for me. If you're listening, you don't know what a route is. I don't know if you guys talk about routes, mm. but um, we would go to the Goodwill outlet every morning. And then when that was done, it was like 10 to noon. And noon to 1230, this thrift store A would put Mm -hmm. books out and I had developed relations with them via giving them gift cards, via bringing them pizza, via remembering their name and their kids' names and smiling and all this stuff. They wouldn't put the books out till we got there, which eventually came into, we go into the back room and get to scan what we want. And then what's left, we put the books out for them and we keep the shelves nice and clean trash and everything. And then we go to the next thrift store in the same scenario. So we'd go to Goodwill Outlet, go to three or four thrift stores, then go hit Marshalls, then go home. That was our route every day. And I thought I had to do it myself until I broke my foot and I was forced to outsource it. And that was the beginning of me starting. Reezy Resells started shortly after that because I'm sitting at home with a broken foot. What am I going to do? You know. And so I started getting onto social media. And nice. when I my foot I started figuring social media out, then when my foot healed and I could start going out, I don't know if you guys seen like some of my oldest content, the like snap when snap episodes? I was making videos on Snapchat and yep. stuff. Yeah, exactly. The snap episodes. Really need to retitle those videos and fix those <laughs> thumbnails, by the way. Those would be much better. But to this day, people tell me those are some of my best videos. And uh I I know why. It's because I was fresh to social media, I had mm-hmm. never talked about the stuff I was talking about. A lot of people hadn't heard about it. Like I wasn't the first guy to talk about selling books on YouTube or social media, but I might've been the first guy wearing a baseball cap doing it, you mm-hmm. know, or the the first guy that could wear a baseball cap backwards legitimately, you know, like yeah. or the best
0: the, thumbnails ever. Like yeah, your, your dude, thumbnails you gotta, are next level.
2: <laughs> you got to work on them, man. There's a lot of good videos hidden behind bad thumbnails that never got any love. Mm. People don't understand it. Someday uh, I'm going to release a YouTube course and that is going to be a hefty chapter on thumbnails.
0: (laughs) It's so true. Now I want to talk a little bit about your, your business model, because I I think this is something that, you know, we're we're heavy eBay. We talk about eBay a lot. I do a lot of Amazon. I haven't been doing Amazon a lot. I've been doing some merchant fulfilled probably the last three months because of everything that went down. But you know, we were talking about this before the podcast about, you know, Amazon, you kind of get this feeling of like, Hey, I need to sell everything at a certain price and if I don't get that price, I'm away. But you know, everybody has their own model, but on Amazon, I, I really only think one model works, but talk to us, what, what does your model look like at the moment?
2: So currently we have a bulk book model, which means we have a warehouse with a forklift and we receive truckloads of books on pallets. Uh, we dump them onto a table, we sort them, we find the ones that are good for us to sell. And we box them up and ship them off to Amazon, selling them via Amazon FBA. Been doing a little bit of merchant fulfilled lately because of quarantine has really reduced. Uh, for a while, they wouldn't even let us send non-essential items in, and still, even now, the shipping is really delayed on FBA orders. I'm sure you mm-hmm. guys have experienced it. Everyone that's a customer of Amazon has ordered something and then seen it like a 30-day uh, ship notice, and you're like, "Wait a minute, I pay." to get my stuff in three days, buddy. <laughs> but no, it doesn't matter, it's not coming. So uh, Merchant Fulfilled was allowing us to get items to customers very quickly. It's a lot more work shipping items individually. It's, uh, it's the opposite of why I love FBA. But um, it's a high labor uh, business. And while the ROI is good, the margins are slim. Um, we sell books that make us only fifty cents. Um, we're in California. We pay a dollar a square foot for a warehouse, we pay fifteen dollars an hour labor. Mm -hmm. Um, and that is our main business model right now. And for the last six months, um, we've had this big warehouse, big ish, two thousand square feet. And I haven't taken a paycheck at all from that. I haven't made no money. And right now we're having issues getting supply because California is still shut down. Mm -hmm. And we were very naive. We developed three different suppliers, all in the same region of California. And of course, they're all locked down right now. And so we're unable to get a supply. And so, hindsight, I wish I would have developed relations, you know, up to halfway across the country hmm. instead of becoming comfortable with the local suppliers that I had. Um, because then I might be able to get books right now, because right now we can't get books. Our warehouse is completely cleaned out. We we sold everything we could ever think of that's in there. We did all of our quote unquote death piles. You know, we have, uh, type ins and all kinds of stuff, books that don't have barcodes, things that take a lot longer to process. We've done everything we've cleaned. We reorganized. We're currently sending out our very last shipment. It's like the opposite of a maiden voyage. It's yeah. a, about 6,000 books. It's going to be, uh, four pallets, I believe four to four and a half or five pallets of books. um, but our average profit is like three to three three dollars to three dollars and fifty cents. Our average selling price, I believe, is between eleven and twelve dollars. so um it's a very tight margin business um certain things just it's the margins are so slim and labor's so expensive. I'll catch my employees doing stuff and I'll be like, "Wait, what are you doing?" <sighs> I'm like there I'm like you can't pick that up again that needs to stay where you put it like we can't afford to be putting it down and picking it back up again that will double the labor cost yeah. on these items and and since we sell items that make us 50 cents it's not worth it you know um and I haven't taken a paycheck pay. I also have a business partner for people that are listening that don't follow me so well I have a business partner we've been partners for a long time and so when you have a business partner you need to you have it's just more intricate, right? Yeah. If you guys are taking an equal uh, draw or share or salary or whatever, you need to make twice as much to be able to pay each other. Or, in our scenario, the warehouse is closer to me. He lives where you guys live in San Diego, six to seven hours away from me, and so your uh, profit share might be different. You might say, "Hey, you know, I want to get paid as an employee for the time that I've spent there." You know, but currently we're not there. We've still uh, been growing it, and it's just. The whole COVID is so frustrating because we were like at the precipice of cracking this warehouse. And we stopped losing money after the first month, but we weren't making enough money to where I felt comfortable taking it out, right? Mm. Because what's the point of taking money out if you might have to put it back in on a rainy day? You know, it's just not enough to really like take it out and do anything, right? And so we weren't losing money, but we weren't, you know, cracking it over anyone's heads. And we were just getting there to the point where we could do, um, we were just now getting to the point where we could do three truckloads a month. And our, our goal was to get to four truckloads a month. Cause when we're like, okay, we can suffer through to where we learn how to efficiently do four truckloads a month. And when we do four truckloads a month, then we can hire another employee. Cause we mm-hmm. have two employees plus me and I do all the processing and the back end and management and whatever. But then when we can get a, a third employee, then they can focus on processing, um, making shipments. The other two employees are sorting the raw books into keepers, scanning them with barcode scanners. Then we could really start figuring it out and going, okay, now let's get to five trucks and let's get to six trucks. Mm. And when we get to five trucks, maybe we can pick up some part-timers to work on the weekends, you know, and and really start, Oh, then we can get pallet racks and, you know, store stuff up higher and do all this stuff. And then we got hit with COVID got no supply so now uh, I mean we learned a lot but we're still starting back over at square yeah. one I mean and so to to be like fully honest with everyone we might go out of business if we can't get a supply in the next two months we're probably gonna have to shut it down because we haven't had any inventory for seven weeks I've already laid off you know 60 percent of the workforce there's I've been going there just to ship merchant fulfill orders mm-hmm. lately there's not a lot to do we're working on our last things to be done and I'm letting the employees do it out of, you know, <clears throat> I don't, I don't want to do it for one, but they, they need work. Right. Yeah. And so, but it's just so frustrating. So I'm like, oh, we're out about to go out of business maybe. But at the same time, I'm like, but if by the grace of God, the book gods, we're saved. I know all of these mistakes we've made in the last six months because the warehouse is like empty and mm. clean. And when, when we have nothing to do, the clarity on all of the bad stuff we've done became so obvious, <laughs> like all start, of these little yeah. messes over here and over there. And they're like, what should we do about this? I'm like, throw it all away. I don't care. Throw it all away. And then I stopped to think like, wow, now I don't care at all about it, but how much labor was involved in creating that pile. Mm. Right? It's like, it's so different when you have employees versus when you work for yourself, because right. a lot of solopreneurs don't track their own time so they don't measure what their actual hourly rate is. But when you pay, you pay, you pay attention. Right. So, um, I, half of me feels like, ah, we're going to go out of business. And I'm like, ah, but it's so much work. And did I really want to do that? I don't know. And then at the other half of me is like, well, when we come back, we're going to rise like a Phoenix. Because you know, all of these little mistakes that we made, like I know how to all these inefficiencies in the system, you know what I mean? Like I know, everything that we did wrong. I know how we could have been to four truckloads a week two or a month, two months ago, you know, like I don't feel like it's going to take us six months to get to four trucks starting from zero this time. I feel like we could do it in two months, three months max, you know? So Um, it's a, it's a very, it's hard work, right? Being an entrepreneur and business. And I mean, this is a crazy black swan event, right? No one could, uh, could prepare for this. Um, I feel, you know, I see I see businesses that are, uh, they got grand opening signs up still. Yeah. They were going to do the grand opening right Ugh. before lock. It's still up. It still says grand opening. I they're, see out, that. they're
1: out of business. They left yeah. the grand opening sign up and left.
0: Nope. Yeah, now,
1: it's rough. Now, I was going to say real quick um, one thing I'm like impressed by with you, and I think um, it's it such a cool thing is looking at even back when you first started and you were willing to make sacrifices, you were willing to kind of swallow your pride and ego and say, you know what, I'm going to go to the, the churches for food. I'm going to go to the food banks. Uh, and then now not taking a paycheck. I mean, I think what a lot of people who want to get into business don't really think about or realize is there's extreme sacrifices you have to make on the front end, right? You make those sacrifices. You don't pay yourself. You're not make, living it up yet. And after time, after you've kind of built up, then you could start to pay yourself. So I think it's it's very... Uh, impressive that even now in this situation, you're like you know what, for several months, not going to take a paycheck uh, because clearly long-term business success is more important than you know driving the the fancy car now because you're pulling out tons of money, but then the business fails. So um, I just want to commend you on that. That's awesome. Um, so is that like your primary thing now is, is just books? Because I know you were used to do books, shoes. Did you do other types of selling? What is your? Can we
0: talk about shoes for a moment? Sure. Yeah. Okay. So I wanted to ask this question. So you're top two YouTube videos are the ones, Hey, it's the, uh, $1,500 profit buying Nike shoes. And then the other one is the, how to make the million dollars. That's one of like, I think that was the first Reezy video I clicked on and, and I started watching your videos. And so that
2: video, that video definitely earned me a lot of subscribers. I actually made that video twice. So I don't know now if the one that's more viewed one is the original or the remake. So I, I literally base, I basically, I was like, wow, this video did really good. Let's try it again. Really? I did it again. I did. I, I mean, it's not the exact same thing. There's different shoes in Marshall's that day. Yeah. But it's literally the same video with the same title, the same exact keywords, the same description, and just a slightly different video, similar length. Everything's very similar. Um, yeah, this is different because I don't remember. very well.
0: I don't remember the original one having Luna in it. I remember it was just you and the guy that you were sourcing with. Am I wrong? Yeah. I don't know.
2: Yeah. No, no, no. You're right. Uh, that dude's actually a local uh, YouTuber. He has over half a million subscribers, by the way. Wow! Shout out Garrett Jenner. I doubt anyone's gonna know he is. He's a skateboarder, <laughs> okay. but uh, he he inspired me to start YouTube because uh, I knew he was a successful YouTuber. Um, I also had recently read Gary V's book or whatever, but I was never a big YouTube watcher. Um, but I knew, like culturally, knew that was the thing and that I wanted to do it because I'd always made videos skate uh, as a skateboarder. Um, and I just remember one day I was like, dude, like you're doing YouTube, you're killing it. Like, what's that like? And it was back before the adpocalypse. So he was doing really well and he just, we're just skaters. So like, we don't care. And he just pulls his phone out and shows me his, his Google AdSense deposit to his bank account. And I was like, I'm not going to say how much it was, but it was enough for me to just be like, (laughs) wow, really? Like you're 18 and you're making that much? Like, holy bonanza. And so, uh, that's when uh, that was either the day that was either the day before I read crush it or the day after it. And then I started my channel that night after that, that was all I needed.
0: All right, I want to touch uh, on that in a little bit, but I want to talk about retail arbitrage real quick because yeah, let's go into it. It is, it is, I think it's the, it's like the, uh, I don't know. It's like the guru thing or it's like the fascinating, like the, it's eye catching. It's like the very appealing video, right? Cause I don't yeah. know. Some people like watching the garage sales. Like some people like watching thrift stores, but a lot of people, you know, you see some, some dude like
2: to get dirty.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then you see that, you know, you see guys going out with like three carts or it's Q4 and they have like a whole garage yeah, full yeah. of like Nerf toys and, and yeah. you see all that. Right. And you're like, I want to jump into it. And I, that's, that's what was appealing to me. Cause even though, you know, you're not making that much on each one, you feel like a baller walking out of the stores, right? Because you just drop 10 K yeah. you drop 20 K it's not profit, but, you know, you're like, look at me, right? And uh, Mike's looking at me kind of silly. Yeah, because bro. Mike always thought retail arbitrage is funny. He always, you know, because I still believe in retail arbitrage, but I've lost a lot on retail arbitrage. And oh, we talked about this. So give us some takeaways on retail arbitrage. If you could, if you, and, sure. and things that you so,
2: thought you would apply. First, starting first, I just want to touch on the psychological aspect of why it seems so appealing and why I will probably forever make a big retail arbitrage video every once in a while because it brings people into the fold. Whether or not they do that, if it gets them to watch some more of my videos and they find something that I do that's worthwhile for them, then, you know, maybe it works out. But I think not everyone has that garage sale mentality. Um, And there's kind of this like, oh, you're cheap or you're bummy mentality that goes along with yard sailing, right? Like Mm -hmm. some people literally can't afford clothing. So they buy their clothing at the garage sale, which is kind of what's attached to that. But everybody goes to retail stores and everyone's bought a good clearance deal. So everyone has some kind of relation with that, you know, like everyone's like, it's not, it's not a faux pas to be like, someone's like, dang girl, your outfit looks good. And you're like, got it for half off. You know what I mean? Like (laughs) that's... no one's ever going to think you're bummy for that. You know what I mean? You're going to get like a, a high five for that. Right. And so I think that's why retail arbitrage videos are appealing to the average person. But it's a very expensive game. And if you don't do your homework, uh, you could lose a lot of money. I think the biggest tip that I have for people that are going to do retail arbitrage is don't marry your inventory. And this is probably true with all kinds of reselling, but when your inventories, the difference between yard sales and thrift stores is that stuff's cheap. When you buy something that doesn't work out from the yard sale or the thrift store, you could throw it away. Who cares? It costs a dollar, it costs $5. But when you have 15 pairs of shoes that cost $40 each, that's like a real math problem that you have to do. <laughs> and you're going to be like, wow, this is like a car <clears throat> payment, a worth of stuff. And so when you buy a pair of shoes or 10 pairs or a hundred pairs for 40 bucks and an effort to make 20 bucks on each pair and half of them shortly due to competition, due to market price or whatever, um, get to a price where you can make your money back. And I don't believe that the wise thing to do is to hold out on the price. Unless you have some kind of expert knowledge about why you think this is going to go up in value, I think it's much more logical to assume it's going to go down in value because the supply is likely to increase. If you don't have like exterior expert knowledge on the demand and why it might increase, you have to assume the safe assumption is that the supply is going to increase. It just is, right? And so if you can sell it, sell it, right? You can't control what you sell an item for, right? I mean, you can list it for whatever you want, but that doesn't mean it's going to sell for that price. But if you buy items that have enough demand to sell, you can choose when it sells by pricing it at the market price. And so you have to um, have the humbleness to accept a, a break even and even consider that a win. And to be like, well, I bought these for 40 to try and make 20 profit but I had to sell them for 55, which actually the payout was 40 and I broke even. You have to consider that a win because you Mm -hmm. learned something for free, right? Because the reality of it is you could sit on them for three months, six months, and that $40, you don't know what's going to happen at all in that time period. You're just hoping that it might go up so that you could sell it for more in that time period. Those six months could come by and guess what? It didn't go up. And so now, even if you can sell it, if the demand's there, you still have to bring it down to market price. So don't be afraid to sell something for even as much as a 50% loss if you have to, to get your money back so that you can roll the dice again. Because what's important in reselling, especially retail arbitrage, is having more dice rolls, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a poker player, probably because I don't really like doing math so much, but there's a poker strategy. And your strategy varies like based on how much is the ante and how many more hands can you make it through? You know what I mean? If the the. I think I'm speaking correctly. Like the ante yeah. increases as the game starts to wind down. And you have to look at your money and be like, well, wow, 10 more antis and I'm out. So I have to play more aggressively now, mm-hmm. right? If the same thing happens with retail arbitrage. You need to determine, do I need this money? How long can I wait? Because why not lose five bucks? Let's say you put in 40 and you only get back 35. You lost five, but you got 35 bucks now and you can buy something for 35. And if if six out of 10 times when you buy stuff, you make money and you do well in that six month period, I'd rather lose five bucks each time and get the money back and put it in to get another 60% chance, try to make money. Like it, it's a math problem, but if yep. you look at it, it's like a commonly understood thing is like it's better to lose a little money and then try 10 times over a year to make money with that 10 or $20 mm-hmm. than it is to try to hold it for all year because of compounding interest, right? Yep. So if you have to hold it for a year, 40 bucks to make 20, cool, you made 20 bucks over a year. But what if that 40 could make you five bucks every month all year long? That's 60 bucks mm-hmm. profit, not 20. And people get really married to their inventory and you feel like a failure maybe. I don't know exactly, but also you need to understand, especially when you have a large quantity of an item, if if you spend, um, I don't know, a hundred, let's just make it easy. You spend like a hundred bucks for a hundred items. So they're a dollar a piece and you sell 50 or 10 bucks each. And now you made 500 bucks. You turned your hundred into 500, but you have 50 left and you're still trying to sell those at a price to make money or you're holding out for them, guess what? You already made all of your money. You could throw those away or you could sell them at break-even price, or you could sell them at a loss and get 50 cents back on each one. It doesn't matter because you already made your money. Mm -hmm. right? And I'm sure there's a business term for that that they teach in some overpriced business school. Yes. Just like a stop loss. Exactly. That's one thing. That's a, a great point, Orlando. So in stock trading, there's a stop loss, but people don't think about that in reselling. Mm-hmm. People will hold out for their price that they thought they were going to make when they bought the item till the cows come home. Yep. When in reality, you should have a stop loss. You should say, hey, I bought this for 40 to, to try and sell it for 80. But if, it's, if it goes down to selling it for 50, I'm going to sell it right away. Yep. Right. So that you can you can get out because you need to preserve your capital. People don't understand. Like the <clears> people, <throat> I, know, I know people that are selling a thousand pairs of Nikes a day. Probably one wow. of the top five to ten Nike sellers on the entire United States on Amazon. These people have one to two million dollars of rolling credit card debt all the time. Wow. I'm not saying they're carrying that credit card debt or they're paying late fees on it or anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying their whole entire business is based on the fact that they have 30 to 60 day terms on a mm-hmm. billion to two million dollars of credit. And so those guys can afford to sell to pay $50 for a pair of shoes to make four to seven dollars average on a pair. Because guess what? They're selling a thousand pairs a day. They're making four thousand to seven thousand profit a day. That's yeah. not too bad.
1: Yeah. I mean, that even goes to show like, uh, you know, if you're a smaller reseller, okay, like there's times where I go to a store and I'm scanning stuff. Maybe it's like, you know, in the clearance section and I look at what some people are selling things for. And it's like, man, they they're selling it for cheaper than I could buy it for. Right. Like there's no way this is already on clearance. It's already marked off 75 percent off by the time they ship it. They've got to be losing money. But if they've, like you said, already sold a thousand of them, they've made their money back at the 700 mark. Now like yeah they can make a dollar each or be losing a little bit of money but they're already coming out way ahead. So you, when you're looking at volume like that it's 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 a it's a different story for sure. And then especially right. I, I like the idea that you said it's almost like the baseball I mean I'm not really a baseball fan but the idea of like if you're batting more than 500, right? So just like in a casino, they don't have to win the 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 house doesn't have to win on every single hand, but as long as they're winning on more than 50% of them, they come out ahead. And that's kind of the idea there is, is you, there might be a couple, two out of 10 items that you buy <clears> don't make you profit. But if the other eight do, you're in the serious green on that. Yep. Yeah. And you got to not marry your inventory <sighs> so that you can move it. And that's what
2: I really admire people that have uh, warehouses. Um, I sell mostly used books, right? So I guess we could do it, but they have a warehouse sale and it's it's all the stuff we couldn't sell you know you see uh people on youtube like resell rabbit and he's like oh man i bought 20,000 dollars worth of target clothing and i don't know what to do and i'm um, i'm being a little bit of a headline reader cuz i didn't watch the video i just No read it he sold like, it
0: like a dollar a piece oh, just to get yeah, rid of right, it.
2: Yeah. Exactly at a at a warehouse sale, yeah, right? Yeah. Cuz i saw the next video was like i sold 40,000 dollars of yeah, target
0: clothes. That's yeah. what he does.
2: Yeah, i'm sure he made money and and like I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but not my business model might not be your business model. And it might not work for you, but there is so many ways to make money on the Internet. Like it's like taking the red pill, right? Like we see it now. It's just everywhere. Like I, I can't not talk business with people. You know, like mm-hmm. I have IRL friends that they'll like invite me over for a barbecue and they'll be like, all right, you can come over, but you can't talk business. And I'm like, <laughs> Should I even come over? they're like, no, bro, serious. Like my girlfriend's dad's there and he's like the VP of a big company. And I don't want you like creeping him out. And I was like, oh, be cool, bro. Don't worry. But like (laughs) soon enough, I'm talking to like this big VP and we're like deep in conversation. And, you know, he they've known him for two years and never heard him talk like that. But when you talk to people and you're excited about stuff and they're excited, like it's just what happens, you know, and. I I see it everywhere. I see so much opportunity. Like the other day, I'm waiting in line to get into Target. 45 minutes to get into Target. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I got stuff to do. If that guy at the front of the line would sell me his spot for 20 bucks, I'd buy it right now. And so then I was like, man, there's a business model right there. Quarantine
1: line (laughs) sitting. Yep. (laughs) The (laughs) entrepreneur. Or or even water bottles in line, right? Like there's gotta be something.
2: (laughs) Oh, dude. When I went to Italy, and we talked a little bit about this pre-show, but um, there's so many hustlers on the tourism stuff like I couldn't wait to get home from vacation to just hustle because all that was around me was all the local hustlers in Italy, just everywhere, and like when you know, when you know, when you know, when you know, they're selling you water, and it's like uh some of them even like have it frozen already, so you're mm-hmm. like you're waiting in line an hour to get into this you know arch or whatever it is you're waiting for. And there's no water anywhere. And this guy got water for one euro. And you're like, dude, that's the easiest sell ever. I'm like, bro, you could have sold me it for two euros. Where <sighs> they're offering two euros and I'm bargaining them down to one. And they're like, nope. And I'm like, fine, then we'll take our money somewhere else. And we walk away. And then he's like, okay, okay, okay. You know, and I get it for one euro. But it's like in my head, I'm like, I bet they're filling it up with tap water and then <laughs> super gluten the lids on. Like, it's just, it's just the hustler in me. I just can't, you know what I mean? Like we're buying like little trinkets at the Eiffel Tower. My daughter wants like these little keychains. I'm like looking them up on eBay and I'm like, I can yep. get a pound of these keychains for two dollars and you want to buy one for five dollars. And it's yep. like, yeah, that's what she wants right now, or like it's the hottest day in the <clears> world. <throat> and these guys, and they always have like uh it's always like the hustles are shared within the ethnic communities because it will be like these guys have this hustle. And these guys have that hustle, like the African dudes sell sunglasses and hats, but the Indian dudes sell the Eiffel Tower keychains. And it's like, I don't know if they respect each other's hustle or they share the suppliers or what, but like in the middle of August and it's hot and a dude rolls out, I swear it's exactly what I needed was a hat and sunglasses, he's (laughs) rolls out a blanket and he's like, two euro hat, two euro sunglasses. And I'm like, bro, I got you. Let's do this, you know, but in my mind, of course, I'm like searching it up on Alibaba and I'm, like, I can get hats for 12 cents. Like.
0: <laughs> so true. All right. So to talk to us a little bit about work-life balance. Now, your, your daughter homeschools. And I saw something you're going to like do a and a about how you guys homeschool, which is you guys were like in a perfect position with everything that goes down. So everybody that's saying they're miserable homeschooling now, you guys are like, what? That's like, that's what we do. Right. And so... Right.
2: Well, the, I want to make the difference here because a lot of people are like, we're miserable homeschooling, but they're not homeschooling. They're doing distance learning. True, yeah. choo choo, choo. not homeschooling at no. all.
0: No, and that's why I wanted, I wanted to bring all of this up because it seems to me that reselling and homeschooling and all that has given you guys a, kind of like a nice balance. I mean, y- you are a very much a family man. I mean, everything I watch, you know, you're engaging with your daughters and, and you go on these trips and so on. so. Talk to us about how does reselling and your work-life balance work? Like how, how how's the, how's the day-to-day and so on?
2: Okay. So everything's changing all okay. the time. True, true, true. R- right now, my wife just graduated high school. Like this Friday, we're having a quarantine. Oh, congrats. Graduation party. Don't tell her if she does.
0: Okay. <laughs> all right, we, we, this isn't dropping until Sunday. So we're good. Congratulations. We're good.
2: Um, I'm still trying to figure out how to have a quarantine graduation <laughs> party, but Anyways, hopefully I didn't see it too loud. I have <laughs> headphones on, so who knows how loud I'm talking. <laughs> but um, so she gets out of school and she's been going to school in some form since fresh out of high school. So for like for like 16 years, not obviously not full time. So for the last three years, she's went to a state university full time, um, get her bachelor's degree in music education. Um, but we're finally about to have like some freedom because I've had freedom for a long time. But a lot of my freedom was kind of um, taken away when she decided to start going back to school full time. So my daughter's eight. When she was five, she started going back to school full time. But from zero to five, she didn't work at all. And so we had a really free, if we wanted to go on a trip, we want to go, we would go to Disney. We live six hours from Disneyland and we have annual pass. And we would just, let's go to Disneyland, like 3 p.m. in the afternoon. Like, okay, let's go. Two hours later, we're in the car going to Disneyland, just random, right? Um, but ever since she started going to school, we couldn't do that. Ever since we opened the warehouse, we have a, the break room slash Luna's room, which is where she hangs out. And I have a, um, and Luna's your daughter, just for the
0: listeners that are listening. Uh, it's your youngest daughter, right? Luna.
2: Yeah. yeah, Luna is my eight year old daughter that we homeschool. And she has her, um, you know, her room at the warehouse, which is safe and away from the forklift. And if, when she comes out, she has to say, Hey, is it safe to come out? You know? And then we. That's safe. The forklift's not being operated. Then she can come out and use the restroom or whatever. But that's also the break room. So the snacks are in there. She's got a computer. She's got a little table, got her toys. And I put chalkboard paint on the walls in there so she could color all over the place. Um, But basically, I would just go to the warehouse and she would go with me. But because we... Homeschool part, of, a lot of our homeschool is like extracurricular activities. So my daughter hates paperwork, right? So we do very little amount of paperwork in homeschooling. Very, very little, like the, the least you could ever imagine. Instead, we do um, a lot of outside of the home stuff. She has art class. She has gymnastics. She has karate. She has choir. She has um, dance lessons. um Lots, she plays softball, all of these different stuff, right? Um, and then we we build my wife builds the curriculum around that. But because she does a lot of stuff, I'll be at the warehouse and I'll have to leave like two or three times in the day to like take her to an activity. And then while she's there, I'm trying to figure out because I don't just resell, I also do social media. So I have to do YouTube, I have to come up with ideas for videos, I have to shoot (coughs) videos, I have to engage the audience and reply to. Comments on YouTube or Instagram DMs, and so while she's at karate class, I'm doing those things, you know, catching up on my social media, and then I will go back to the warehouse and I'll we'll get more work done, you know, answer some questions. A lot of times, it feels like I get nothing done at the warehouse because I just spend the whole time telling other people what to do, and mm-hmm. getting in their way, and they're asking me questions and and whatever. But um, very very busy. But um, I like I said, I was a bad bad student, quote unquote, I don't think I was a bad student or there's such a thing. But when you have to fit everyone inside of a box, you know, some aren't going to fit as well as others. So that's kind of what happens. And my daughter is super hyperactive. I have two kids. One is like my wife. The other one is like me. She's a nutball. She's of high energy from the moment she wakes up. It's like, boom, what are we going to do? Like if you told her you were going to do something this day, like the night before she sits up right in bed and was like, we're going to the park today right away right when she wakes up and she's like that until midnight when she falls asleep. It's insane. Um, and so she's high energy and she's really smart. And so I know she wouldn't do very well in public school. They wouldn't be able to contain her energy. She'd be ahead of everyone, not needing to pay attention. She would be just be a class clown. (laughs) And so we do homeschooling. Um, and it's very awesome because she, She gets to learn about what she wants to learn about. And obviously we do, my wife builds a curriculum based around um, the state requirements, plus what she wants to learn. And so like, for example, and this is the difference between homeschooling and distance learning. Luna was like, dad, I want to learn about unicorns. And so we made a unit about unicorns. We were like, it was like some mythology you know, a little bit of geography, where did, where were unicorns first created some art, you know, some different forms of art. Um, But, you know, we're able to do stuff that she's, she doesn't think it's school. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's the best part. That's when kids learn um, the best. But uh, I would lo- be a big, big liar if I said that I had scheduling figured out or it was locked down. It is a cluster F. And... It's just wild, you know. I try to my I'm lucky my daughter doesn't wake up till noon. A lot of kids get up super early. My eight year old, she will not wake up before like eleven to noon. Um, we also don't give her a bedtime, so she stays up until like midnight until she falls asleep. But I prefer it that way because I can get a lot of stuff done in the morning while she's still asleep. Versus, oh, let's have what am I gonna do at eight PM? If I put her to bed at eight PM, what am I gonna do? Eat some food and drink some wine and watch Netflix? Like my energy is not good at eight p.m. You know what I mean. It's good in the morning, um, but I just try to do whatever I can uh, when I can, and it's not perfect. You know, there's way too many options for all of us nowadays. Um, I think the struggle now, at least from my perspective, is not uh, how to do it, but to decide like what what you should do or what you're gonna do. You know, sometimes I ask other people, like, what would you do if you were me? You know, because it's hard to to see it from your own side of the equation sometimes. And I'm like, well, Reezy, if I was you,
0: I would do this, this. And then. I'm like, oh, I didn't even think about that, you know. No, that's good. I mean, it's good to know because, you know, we always, I always until this day, I mean, I've been full time for two years. I got my two boys. I mean, and and I think you would agree probably the one of the best things about reselling is the time freedom. But it's a time freedom to do stuff when you want, not necessarily that you have freedom to like do nothing. <laughs>
2: Right. Oh, yeah, exactly. Freedom to do it when you want to or when you have time to. Right. So, um, yeah, I mean, my my for example, my daughter who is 19 (laughs) now and moved out. I never missed a single performance. She she went through all of public school. I never missed a single performance. I was there every single performance, every single sporting event. I was giving her friends whose parents weren't there rides to the sporting events um, you know, wearing all the gear, you know, cheering it up. I'm not a sports guy. Mm -hmm. I don't like sports. I could care less, but if my kid's playing, you better believe Mm -hmm. I'm going to be cheering, you know? And, uh, I always thought that was the most important thing. I've, I've told people, I'm like, you couldn't pay me a thousand bucks to miss my daughter's softball game. And I'm not talking about an important game. I'm talking about any game. And, uh, some people don't understand that, you know? And, Maybe it's because I grew up really poor and when my refrigerator is full of food, I feel like I'm rich. I don't know. But uh, some things just seem way more important to me than money.
1: Yeah. No, that's awesome. I mean, we talk about that a lot that, you know, probably any of us that are like natural hustlers or decide that, you know, this is the, the route we want to go in life, we probably could make it to the point where we work 20 hour days and we're multimillionaires, but that's not what everybody wants, right? Like sometimes you got to find what you want and sometimes that's, you know... Maybe a little less money, but more family time. And it's just really finding where you want to be as far as that goes. Um, man, it's been amazing having you on. One thing I'm interested in is where do you see, we've already heard that, you know, things are a little bit tough as far as, you know, with the warehouse right now and stuff. But overall, where do you see Rezi the reselling for Rezi in the next few years and then reselling in general in the next few years? So, great question. Um, I
2: don't, know exactly how the bulk business is going to turn out for me either we're going to figure it out or i'm going to realize i hate it and i don't know which one of those is going to happen um and so either we figure it out and i get a manager or uh to run most of it where i have just oversight and i don't have to do a lot of work every day Um, because let's be real processing a lot of books or inventory is not fun the funnest part is finding the deal and hunting the stuff. And now that I do bulk books, I don't get to do any of that, right? So it's not, and books were never really like that for me anyways. I I always missed that aspect, which I lost when I stopped focusing on eBay. Cause like, I don't care if the book's worth 150 bucks. It's just beep, 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 yep. beep, cha-ching. It's worth money. It's not like I found this diamond in the rough, mm. you know, and I looked it up and I was like, oh, it's a gold pen. I knew it, you know, it's $70 gold pen, you know, in a 25 cent pen box, you know? That, like, makes you excited. Um, and so reselling, we've been talking, me and my business partner, a lot about trying to reduce our, our labor effort and our maybe outsourcing to different states, um, looking into doing wholesale, um, <clears throat> exploring other avenues of Amazon income that aren't as labor intensive and that mm-hmm. we could outsource the processing to somewhere else. So maybe we would do wholesale and we would do all the in-house product research and primary processing, but then outsource, you know, when we're shipping in repeat products, either direct from suppliers to Amazon or to a middleman, maybe somewhere in the Midwest with a cheaper warehouse. Mm. Maybe I have a friend that lives somewhere else that we could, you know, pay to manage an operation and be a lot less. So I'm not too sure on what our reselling income will be. Um, But content wise and um, social media wise, I want to continue to grow my channel I don't have any specific goals, but because of coronavirus that happened and I started doing Instacart mm-hmm. content. That was my next blew- question. So I have two Instacart videos on my channel now that have over 150,000 views. Um, and that happened very quickly. They were probably some of the fastest growing videos I had. They're in my top 10 views and I have like 560 YouTube videos, which is insane. So for me, I, I'd be stupid to ignore that. And I, think I kind of just realized a fundamental thing that people tune in to my channel to learn how to make money to how to break the cycle. They appreciate my story, which I knew a lot about that. But I, for some reason, I always tied it in. Here's how I'm doing it and how you should do it when the reality is, is like, oh, there's all these other ways to make money on the internet too. And I need to start documenting and showing those more. And so I'm going to continue to for the short future, to make gig economy type stuff, so Instacart, DoorDash, um, Postmates, any of that kind of stuff, whatever I can do that seems like a good opportunity, I'm gonna create content around that and share it with my core audience. And it's, it's, um, when it does well, it's really. I was just talking to my assistant, and I was like, you know what? It's crazy because I'm making thirty to fifty dollars an hour while I'm making the video, which is yeah. just insane. Then. I get really good feedback from people, like more feedback than some, than some of my Amazon content. Like I had multiple messages from people that were like, Reezy, thank you for the Instacart content. Um, we didn't know what we were going to do for Easter. Now our kids had Easter nice. because they wouldn't have had Easter baskets. We were all laid off, you know, thank you. And um, so not only am I making 30 to $50 an hour, I'm getting crazy good response I'm getting crazy views on YouTube. It's bringing new subscribers in, whether or not they watch that, they see new stuff. I got all kinds of national news coverage. There's very good affiliate income on it. So between me and my daughter, we've netted over 15 grand in affiliate income just from Instacart alone, from signups. So my daughter, it was her idea. She started doing Instacart because she got laid off. She was like, dad, You want to come film me? And I don't get to spend a lot of time with my 19-year-old daughter and she certainly doesn't want to be on the channel. Uh. So I was like, yeah, let's do it. And we did it and it blew up and I used her referral on the first video. And I was like, wow, like this is a big opportunity. And then I started doing it for myself and I was like, then the affiliate income started coming in and I was like, holy bananas. And so all of those things at once, I'm just like, wow, what other stuff like like this is there that I could do? Because Mm. when you think about it, I just started to think about it and I was like, wow, reselling is kind of hard. It's not hard, but it's just like it's it's not hard, but it's hard work. I always right. tell people that. It's pretty simple, it's hard and even when I say it's simple though, it's not, right? You have to learn how to research stuff, how to price stuff, how to manage your inventory, how to deal with the, your cost of goods and your overhead and all of this stuff, but you might be able to make $30 to $50 an hour today on DoorDash or Instacart and all you need all you need is your phone in your car. Yep. And most people have those and know how to do that. And so it's quite accessible to the average person and I mean a lot of people have told me they're like wow you pivoted really well into that. It was like a natural smooth transition. And to me it makes sense because that's what my channel's always been about is about trying to teach people how to make money and how to break the cycle of the 9 to 5 and not you know how to get some of your time back, how to do what you want to do on your time. You know, you might not be making $5,000 a month on Instacart or DoorDash, but maybe you could make your, your bills or your rent and you could do it, you know, when your husband's home before he goes to work and the kids are asleep or whatever, when you want to do it, you know, you could go to, uh, go to Disneyland for a week, six hours away and still do, you know, DoorDash in the mornings or the evenings after you get back from Disneyland or whatever. Like there's so much opportunity and I'm excited to share that with everyone. I'm obviously going to still continue to share reselling based content, but I think I'm going to start to inject a lot of other side hustle type stuff as a, thank God my name's not like Reezy the book guy, right? <laughs>
0: uh, well, that's why we wait, decided wait, on Pure Hustle Podcast because it was the same thing. Like if we did a thrift, like if it was Reezy thrift or Reezy right. flips, like you're stuck. Yeah, you
2: don't want to pigeonhole yourself. <laughs> And so, and so like, yeah, like maybe, you know, you could do that to make money. You know what I mean? And then when you, because the reality is, is like, if you have bills breathing down the back of your neck right now, it's so hard to think about learning a new thing to try and then go try to do that thing to make money. But I can tell you right now, most people watch, watching or listening to this could probably make $30 an hour, especially during peak time doing DoorDash. And you could learn how to do that in 10 minutes. There's 100%. not a lot to it. If drive around, I delivered pizza. I know how to drive around <laughs> places. I know the shortcuts, you know, drive around, get the food, go drop it off. It's pretty simple, you know, and uh, there's not a lot of things like that. And you can take that $30 and then pay your bills and then take a deep breath and then maybe try and learn something else. You know, there's just there's just so much uh, other things that I had been very narrow minded to and just kind of had a realization that about what and who my audience was, you know? So, um and to be fully honest with you guys, I get so much more fulfillment from helping others make money than I do from making money myself, mm-hmm. like I as soon as my refrigerator's full type thing. And so, um and it's hard for me, at least since I've been comfortable for a long time to do anything that is just monetary gain. And that's probably something of my own that I need to fix to turn up my financial thermostat a little bit. But when you get the feedback from people saying you helped me and the YouTube's doing good. And it's like, you have all these feedback loops and you're like, wow, they like it. It's helping them. And I'm making money. Like let's try more of this stuff, you know? So long-term, just continue to provide value to my audience inside of the side hustle and how to make money, not just Amazon. And then invest a lot of time and effort and hopefully more free time and some money into making more family videos. That's so awesome. what Thanks. I really enjoy doing is like is making the family videos because <clears> I make those for myself. I mean, I make them in a way that's shareable for other people, but I don't make an Amazon video ever. I'm not going to have my wife listen to this podcast. You know what I mean? I'm I'm. no offense, guys, but
0: oh, we're you know so what hurt. I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, I totally get it. I
2: don't ever make an Amazon video and rush downstairs and be like, well, I really killed it with this one, babe. You got to watch this. She doesn't care. She's heard everything I have to say a long time ago. Right. And so but the family videos, we watch them in the living room on the big screen TV. As soon as they're done and they're ready to go, we watch them on the TV, you know, and my my real life friends watch them. My family watches them to keep up with us, you know. What's that um, YouTube
0: channel, by the way, Reezy? So people can go there. Uh,
2: it's Reezy Fam Vlogs. Okay. Reezy Fam Vlogs. Um, also, probably linked to my other channel, like on the side on the channel section or something. But here's a crazy story. When we went to Italy, we were recognized for our family channel. And this is, was in, huh. in Venice, Italy, and in Florence, Italy. And the channel doesn't even have, at the time, now it has 1,400, but at the time it didn't even have 1,000 subscribers. And we got recognized because we had our string of London videos and some of those have like 30,000, 40,000 views. It did really well. We did a playlist of London videos and they were like staring at us weird. And then comes up like, Hey, you went, you do YouTube, huh? You went to London. And I was like, yeah. And they were like, we just did the same trip. We did everything you did in your videos. And That's I was awesome. like, Hey, what? Like it was wild. And you know, I was like, wow. Like, it's working. You know, I make like $14 a month off the family channel. And I remember when I made $14 a month off of Reezy resells and I'm like, Oh, it's working. Like I just need to keep going. You know what I mean? I got to get a hundred videos and then 200. And then I'm very passionate about it. I want to travel more and I'm going to document it. I'm just gonna. So I might as well do it in a way that I can share it with others. And it's like educational. My daughter gets to see it. Me and my wife get to experience it. And I, if I'm perfectly honest, I want to be like the next Rick Steves. I want to just like, he's played out. He's so tired. Like no disrespect to Rick Steves. But <laughs> like when, when I came into the reselling world, there was nobody that like was authentically like youth or like had a street vibe at all or had like a rough background that people who didn't have a perfect background could relate to. Nobody can relate to Rick Steves. He's like a rich old white guy why not bring the younger dude that has like a little bit of a street talk to him, have that baseball cap. Maybe it's a little bit crooked. It's not perfect. You know what I mean? Like, and so when I was on the Italy trip, the Pompeii video was the first one where I did this is I, um, I downloaded a Rick Steves Pompeii guide for us to listen to while we were going through Pompeii. And then I would listen to what he said and then I would say it in my own way. Mm on my video. And so if you, you said you watched, yeah, the yeah, actually, yeah, video, some good. of those factoids that I was like delivering out was stuff I had just listened to him say on I, his podcast. I thought just I just had a I, master's I, I in, it in my way. You yeah, know what yeah, I mean? It was and good. I tried to put some dad jokes and some humor <laughs> into it or whatever, but that was the beginning of me realizing I was like, Oh, I can make these travel vlogs, but add another layer to them and make them educational. Nice. And, That's awesome. And uh, to me, it just it just seems like fun. You know what I mean? Oh. Like, why yeah. not? Yep. But so, I, I do think I could. I recently was like, I'm gonna get a play button for the family channel. So yeah, there we go. That, where is it? That thing? Where is it? So hard to do with your hand in reverse. That right thing. There. Right there. I'm gonna get one of those for the family channel. But um, and then just long term plan, the family channel has much more longevity than the reselling channel. Mm. Cause there's going to be other reses that come about, you know what I mean? And they're, however, like people, you know, people are going to create courses and just give them away for completely free, you know? And I'm like, Oh wow, you made a course and gave it away for free. Like more, like much better than my free course, like a, <laughs> a course equal to what people are charging thousands of dollars for right now. You know that as it gets more competitive in the reselling information world, whatever. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's going to be the next LeBron James or whatever. Not to say that I'm the LeBron James or whatever, but, um, but the family stuff that has longevity. That's just, if you like to watch that, that's cause you like me and my family and no one can ever take that from me. You know what I mean? Like I'm just giving you information, you know what I mean? Like, and, and people like my style of information or who I am or whatever. But if you're, if the main draw for me is information, I'm replaceable.
0: No, we get it. We get it. I mean, we think about pure hustle sometimes. How long we're gonna go for? So, I totally get it. Now, Mike has this... 151 though, man. That's like yeah, I know. Oh, we're we're going to 1K, right? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Never mind. All right, He's so... like what? 1K? <laughs> 1K. We didn't discuss this. Yeah. I know. Hey, so Mike always has his last and final question. Man, we could have we could go on for like three hours, but we can't have wrap it up. But Mike always has his one final question.
1: Yeah. So, um we kind of talked in the beginning, like you've been super transparent, you've been super authentic with us. And honestly, that's what our listeners love. They love to be able to hear life stories that maybe they relate to, maybe they don't relate to at all, but they can appreciate. And so when somebody like you has had the background you've had, you've had the struggles you've had, you've had the success you've had, you clearly have a lot of value and information that you can give more than just sell this for this price. So what I like to try and do is wrap it up into like, if you can say like one piece of life advice that, that you live by or a motto you live by something you would let our, let our listeners to hear and say like, this is like the information Reezy would give to maybe a kid, maybe your own kid, maybe somebody who's just starting out in the hustle life. Like what's the, what's the life advice, the motto that, that Reezy kind of lives by.
2: Man, I don't like have this answer stored up, but it just came to me. And, what I would say is hesitation will kill you.
0: Mm.
2: Mm. So if you have an idea with that, and I'll break it down, what I, at least what I mean, because I guess that doesn't really mean too much. But um, if you have an idea, try it. Whatever you want to do, try it. There's no one stopping you from trying it. And it could be the good idea or it could be the worst idea. But the fastest way for you to figure it out is for you to try it. Don't worry about what anyone says. Um, and don't be scared to try it. So many people, ideas are worthless. Everyone has an idea, but most people are scared to try it. Mm. All of us have friends that are like, well, I'm gonna do this, but this and that. And like what a lot of people don't realize is or seem to put together is like, hey, if there wasn't this and that, it wouldn't be worth doing. Because it wouldn't be, if it's not risky, mm. you know, the reward's not gonna be good. And so I'll never forget when uh I was. 10 10 years old i was at a skate park oldest skate park that's still standing in california derby skate park it's like a snake run and it's also a snake pit right so it's like the people who skate there skate fast and it's a you go around and has a bowl and a snake you go fast really Mm. fast and i was sitting there trying to go in on like trying to get my turn trying to get my turn and this older dude looks at me and he goes hesitation will kill you grom go for it (laughs) and um uh, if you're not from california grom is like a term of endearment for a younger kid who's mm. coming up in whatever subculture you're in or whatever the groms and uh and so he he gave me that little burst of confidence to actually try it right and mm. so you know then i was less scared and i could try more and so hesitation will kill you try everything that you want to try because the more you try it, the better uh, your results will get. You'll be less scared to try things. Even when you fail, you learn stuff, right? Failure failure is good hmm. if you learn from your failure, right? It's, it's more valuable than success. You don't learn anything from success. A lot of people got have gotten lucky with their success. And I don't, I don't really believe in luck, but if you try something not too many times and it works out really well for you, you just happen to, you know, you didn't learn much. It's just working for you. You're yeah. liable to fail when a couple of things hit you sideways because you haven't figured it out yet. But if if it took you 500 times of getting hit aside the head before you figured it out, you know, a couple more hits against the side of the head is not going to stop you. Right. And so um, just don't hesitate to try stuff because. Some of them are really good ideas, and even the ones that are bad will teach you a lot of lessons, which will help you to succeed more in the future. But, you know, it's like uh, I used to draw a lot as a kid. I used to love drawing. Few people told me I sucked at drawing. I stopped drawing. Mm. You know, how do people get good at drawing? They practice a lot and a lot, right? So uh, don't hesitate and uh, encourage yourself and others to not hesitate and to keep trying as
1: well. It's really good. It's amazing. Yeah.
0: That (laughs) that was a nice ending to the interview. Seriously, Reezy, appreciate all the knowledge that you dropped. Hearing parts of your life story, even more inspiring to hear your journey. Uh, Just all of it. So Reezy, or, you know, I don't know. I I really want to see you back on the podcast again. Sorry it took so long this time around, but,
2: (laughs) but, you know, I'm, I'm down to come back whenever, man. Let me know. It's a fun time.
0: Yeah, yeah, no. And, and it's one of those things where, I always love how you've always been real and always been candid about stuff. Right. And, you know, people, people have, you know, the people that are like, ah, that's, that's pure as a podcast, or that's Reezy or that's so and so that da da. But reality is like, we all have our day to day real life. And what I love about what you share is that that component, like your relationship with your family, your relationship with your business, your YouTube, all of it, you're super candid about it. And it really helps me and helps. I know a lot of people, and if this episode I think is going to help a lot of people that listen to the episode so thanks so much Reezy for being on yeah. and uh, you know look forward to the next time so hey everyone thank you for tuning in and with that being said make sure to be real be